Welcome to The Smiley Connection, a podcast brought to you by the Smiley Professionals Network and The Smiley. On this show, we'll bring you professionals from all walks of life and across all industries to help you grow professionally and personally. We'll laugh, we'll learn, we'll connect. And who knows, you may find your next Smiley Connection on our show. Hi, Inyali Madad. It's your host, Sony Gossam. On this week's show, I get to know Shireen Lada, a professional dancer and choreographer hailing from Toronto, Canada. She has been dancing since she was four years old and now has a YouTube channel called Dance with SL that she started in 2016 just for fun. Since then, she has amassed over 130,000 subscribers and a total of 27 million views. Her list of notable achievements include participating in Canada's Got Talent, performing at the International Indian Film Academy Awards, and getting hired to do work in movies and TV shows, including The Love Guru with Mike Myers and Jessica Alba. Shireen also performed and directed a group of dancers for the opening and closing ceremonies at the Jubilee Games in Dubai. And when she's not performing and dancing, she's a brand strategist at an advertising firm. On this episode, we'll first tackle Shireen's job in the advertising industry and her interest in business. Then we'll spend most of the time diving deeper into the relationship she has with dancing and how that has shaped how she views the world. She reveals the challenges she went through, gives advice for young dancers, and shares how dancing is the way that she connects with her spirituality. I hope you enjoy. So let's talk first about your brand strategist day job. Sure. What is that like? What does that mean? What do you do? Yeah, so I work at an advertising agency. So the agency model is sort of comprised of these three, four different departments. There's the accounts, the business side, and they very much own the client relationship. Then there's the creative side. So the art directors and the copywriters, and then their strategy that formulates the path that we're going to be on when it comes to creative and when all comms and advertising. So my job is to write briefs, but to always be on top of consumer insights and truths and trends and what's happening and digging into people and their experiences and subgroups of people and how they live and how they consume things and how they interact with media and to take those things and find opportunities for my clients. So every day looks completely different. I mean, not so much now. Every day looks like me sitting on Zoom calls all day, <laughs> but sometimes we're in production for a big commercial that we're doing. And my job will be to sort of be the lens on, are we sticking true to our strategy? Or sometimes it'll be to get really involved with the clients next year. Like I'm working on a 2022 strategy right now for my client and what that looks like long-term, what that strategy, how it morphs into the next five years. So doing different things all the time, but at the heart of it all is the work, the output, the creative, and how it resonates with people and the cultural context that we operate in. Shireen went into brand strategy because business was one of the two paths that were presented to her. And so she opted for business. So it was like really just you go into business or you go into medicine. <laughs> There's nothing else. And I knew that I definitely didn't want to go into medicine. All jokes aside, I had a knack for presenting my ideas and articulating my thoughts and presenting these compelling arguments. 
That skill lent itself well to business school. Mm-hmm. I used that a lot. I used it in Kate's competitions. And in my undergrad that I did at McGill University in Montreal, the marketing and like creative side of things was always really interesting to me. I mean, I also did finance and entrepreneurship as like minors, but the world of marketing was always really interesting. It was the most fun, certainly out of all of the different aspects of business I could have chosen, but also the most creative. And I think that's why I gravitated towards it. That being said though, after my undergrad, I worked for like three years in marketing analytics and research, like very data-driven. Data-driven. Yeah. And I loved it. So it's funny that I gravitated towards marketing because of the creativity, but then ended up in like a very analytics role. I'm glad I have that background though, because then after that, I went to do my MBA at the Schulich School of Business in Toronto at York University. And that's where I was like, okay, I'm going to get into consulting and the world of strategy and then landed in advertising that kind of combined both those things in such a wonderful way. So I know there was like that three-year gap between graduating from McGill and then going off to York University for for your MBA. Can you walk us through what was going on in your head when you decided to go get an MBA and what that process was like for you? Yeah, the idea of getting a master's was always part of my goals when it came to education. I think I always knew that I wanted to do a master's in some realm, and it became abundantly clear after three years in the workforce, that that's the degree I needed. So I always knew that it was something I wanted to attain from just an educational goals standpoint, but then really, really happy I did it. Having gone through MBA school and seeing Mm -hmm. what it did for you, what advice do you have for other people that might be thinking about it, but just (sighs) weren't sure? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I did it because I truly felt like there was a knowledge gap that I had, and that was a career and an area that I wanted to pursue and I had to learn and develop skills around this particular area to do that. I knew that it was part of my career trajectory. I think a lot of people just think like, okay, well, I'm sick of my job now and like, yeah, I should go back to school. And I feel like you absolutely don't need to unless it's part of your career trajectory and where you want to go. Still, I landed in advertising. A lot of people in advertising don't have masters. I don't need it, but it made me a better strategist. It makes me a different kind of strategist than other strategists on the market. And it's funny too, because then I have the other side of dance and it's like, people sometimes cannot believe that I would have gone and paid for an MBA just to become a dancer, which is funny, but it helps me become the kind of strategist that I want to be. Mm -hmm. So how do you balance the dancing with the day job? And then also, how do you find ways to step back and like not get overwhelmed by everything? Yeah. See this juggling act, this balancing act between dance and work slash school has been a constant in my life since I was four years old. This is always how I've lived my life. So during elementary school, I was training and going to school. Then I started working as a dancer when I was 14 and went to a very competitive high school in in Toronto and would do gigs and practices evenings and weekends. Brand strategy and dance seem like they're from completely different worlds and very dissimilar. But a large part of my job at work is creativity and creativity sort of funnels through me on the dance side. On the dance side, I work at creating a business and my own personal brand and how that comes to life 
through social media and all these other avenues. And that's very much what I do for my clients every single day is build their brands. So there's actually these very complementary bits between the two. And the way it works in my brain is that I'm always thinking about both of them. You've been balancing education, jobs, and dance all at the Mm -hmm. same time. So was that your decision to be in a dance class? This is the curse and blessing for my parents is that they're the ones that put me in it in the first place. When I was four years old, I was obsessed with watching the MTV and Michael Jackson videos, but also very much Bollywood. I was obsessed with watching. We wouldn't even watch the movies. I would just watch the songs. <laughs> I would always skip my the songs. Mom, <laughs> the songs are the best part. Yeah, my mom would like record them on VHS. I'm very much letting people know how old I am here, but she would record them on VHS and then just play them back. And even at that age, I was fascinated by this world and I would get up and move. And she even says before that, before I could even walk, that I would, as an infant, be listening to songs and like bobbing my head along to the music. And so I think she saw movement in me and an interest in dance really early on. And so her and my dad put me into class, but all the classes, like I was in ballet, I was in jazz, I was in contemporary, I was in hip hop, all the sort of studio dances. Then I was also in Bartonathium and Kathak and later Bollywood. So they're like, oh, she likes it. That's going to be her extracurricular activity. I think they didn't realize that it would last for the next however many years, but it was them that saw that in me so young and nurtured it. Shireen's interest in dancing grew beyond simply taking dance classes after she saw a stage show one day. And I just remember thinking, I want to do that. I want to be up on a stage and I just want to dance. So I never, I never thought like, oh, let me turn this into a business. That came much, much, much later in my life, to be honest, after I had already had a very full career as a dancer. But I remember just as a little kid being like, I want that to be me. I want to be up there. I want to dance. And that's where it all came from. I just wanted to dance so badly. I wanted to dance and I wanted to perform, which I did for so long. The business thing came as a result of me being like, now this is me after being in two companies, working as a dancer, auditioning for doing movies and TV shows and commercials and live stage shows. I did IFA and I did all these Hollywood movies and Bollywood movies and live stage shows. You mentioned Canada's Got Talent in a company that I was in when I was in high school, we would go all over the place. Like I toured with Mika Singh. We would go to Miami to perform. We'd go to New York all over the place. And I lived that. I lived what I wanted to live as a dancer. And I got to rehearse all the time. I, I honestly, I just loved to dance. It came as a result of me being in these two companies and very much working as a dancer. I wasn't choreographing. I wasn't in charge of any creative direction. And this thing sort of started bubbling within me from the artistic side that I just needed to create my own thing. And I had dabbled in it before, but never in sort of a formalized way. I was, you know, within the confines of dance companies. And it was after I finished my MBA, it wasn't until then that I was like, I can't keep this in me any longer. I need to express it somewhere. And I started creating. And I, the first thing I did was have a class and record it and put it up on YouTube. And 
everything happened from that point and the business became part of it. It always came from a place of, I want to create and I just want to dance. Shereen says that dance is not just a job for her. It's a lens through which she sees the world. I see the world, I see people, I see the energy that they bring into my life, almost in this like really fluid movement. It's an exchange of energy. And even when I perform between me and the audience, there's this idea, especially in Cutluck dance, of reciprocity. And that there's an exchange of energy, an exchange of information. Cutluck itself is very much about storytelling. And you are telling your story or a story from your lived experience and your perspective to the audience. And it is their job to take it in and give that energy back to you. And I very much view the world like that, that every interaction I have with people is an exchange of information and energy and dialogue. I asked Shireen if she could share some of her initial thoughts when she first made a video of herself and put it on YouTube for the world to see. And in answering that question, she revealed that prior to getting her MBA, her dance life and her professional life were kept separate. She said her dance life was under an alias on Twitter and Instagram. Now, this part of her story is reminiscent of another guest who we featured on The Smiley Connection back in 2020. That guest was Shireen Kassam, an international touring comedian who has a couple of parallels to Shireen Lada's story. Now, I'm mentioning this because even though all of our stories and struggles are distinct and shape who we are, the underlying themes are quite universal. Here, that theme is that sometimes we can be afraid to be our authentic selves because others may judge us. For Shireen Lada, she overcame that fear after realizing that her creative side was in fact her strength that set her apart from other strategists in the business field. I was challenged all the time in my MBA that like, you're going to go out into the workforce and there's going to be a thousand other strategists applying for the same job as you that also have an MBA and also have a BCom and what makes you special? And I kept pushing saying like, well, I'm a creative strategist. Like I have a creative side and I knew I had to prove it. You can't just say that you're creative and give no context. So it was then that I combined everything. I like made a website for myself and I'm like, everybody is going to know about this side of my life. And if they think it's unprofessional, I don't care. I don't want to work there if they're going to think that. But like, this is what makes me unique. This is my unique perspective when it comes to the world of strategy. This is my strength. And so I had it under my name and it was available for people to see. And then very quickly after that, I decided that, and this sort of came from a different place, the creativity within me, I just like kind of couldn't contain it any longer. Like I wanted to create something. I just didn't want to do other people's choreography anymore. And I decided that I would hold an advanced level Bollywood class. So I had seen in the styles of hip hop, mostly these masterclasses on YouTube from people like Trisha Miranda or like all these other choreographers out in LA or in New York. And I always thought the style of that class was so interesting that they would have all these advanced dancers come. They would learn like really cool choreography, film the class and just put it online for other people to see and learn from. And I thought that was so cool. And I wanted to do it for Bollywood and nobody was doing it for Bollywood at the time. So I held a class, filmed it and just put it up on YouTube. And I did it at a time where there weren't too many people doing it. So 
people hadn't seen this kind of thing before this like fusion of Bollywood and hip hop and it being on YouTube and all these dancers, like my dancers that came to that class were amazing and like completely killed the choreography and people just wanted to watch it. And so it was from that first video, it did really well. And I never stopped producing after that. Shireen performs all kinds of dance styles from Bollywood fusion to classical dancing like Kathak. Her YouTube channel features a lot of Bollywood and hip-hop fusion, and because of all the videos she posted, she gained a lot of exposure. And that exposure landed her all kinds of opportunities. Because of the popularity on YouTube, to be honest, I was getting booked a lot. I toured two stage shows. I was getting that kind of work. I was able to mature as a dancer really quickly, and I choreographed a piece. So like kind of the first thing, this is a year after I started my channel, I was asked to do the opening and closing ceremonies at the Jubilee Games. In the bay for the Jubilee Games, Shireen had just a few days to put together two dance performances from scratch and teach a group of 50 dancers who had never worked together. It was quite a grueling yet rewarding experience, she says. Dubai was really difficult. It was really emotionally and physically draining and challenging. One of the most difficult things I've ever done and I'm grateful for it every single day. But to put on that show was such a feat. And I had actually choreographed something for the closing ceremonies that didn't make it to the stage. So I didn't get to perform it on that stage. Shireen didn't let the rejection of one of her dance pieces discourage her. In fact, she was in for a surprise. And so I changed it and I pivoted and I, you know, was disappointed, but worked through it. But I'm confident enough in my abilities and my work that I knew that that piece could be something special. And maybe it wasn't right for that stage. But as soon as I came back from Dubai, I started production for my show Roots, A Journey Through India, which I got booked for because of, again, the popularity of the YouTube channel. It was a full stage show. And I brought that piece to the show and people really loved it, and so I created a video out of it. The dance that Shireen choreographed and that didn't make the cut for the Jubilee Games now has 8 million views on her YouTube channel. It's the most popular video that she's made to date. It's a classical dance based on Ayath by Indian singer Arijit Singh. It's my most viewed video on YouTube, and that video, the aesthetic of it and the dance of it, started a movement within YouTube dancers with that kind of aesthetic, this gold and white and like really rough warehouse setting background to slow music, a cut that contemporary fusion and inspired a lot of recreations of that video, but also just inspired a genre. And so that was the one that was really a turning point for me, and I didn't know what I was creating when I was creating it. It just, again, kind of came up within me. I loved the song and represented a huge turning point in my art. I want to talk a little bit more about the Jubilee Games, mm-hmm. how you landed that. Yeah. Can you walk us through like how that happened? I mean, how did people reach out to you? Yeah. So for both the Jubilee Games, so I did the opening and closing ceremonies for the Jubilee Games in Dubai, and then... I was also in Lisbon doing performances at the arena shows, like the little surprise and delight lip sync battles and performed there. So both times 
I think about this a lot. I've been involved with the community in terms of dance. Oh, I also was one of three directors. So I co-directed Rilla, which was the Diamond Jubilee Canadian tour. So I was also involved in that then. So another sort of big Diamond Jubilee initiative or project. And I've been involved with the community before, but not to an extent where I was creating this kind of level or this kind of dance and production for these international stages. So what was really special to me about Dubai is that it actually came from my YouTube channel. Within six months of my YouTube channel starting, I had a video that went very, very viral. It was like covered by CTV news. It was on like the 6 p.m. news in Toronto and it was on the Huffington Post and BuzzFeed and Cosmo and Vogue and all over the place. And we were on radio stations and it was just like playing everywhere. I had a video that just went the kind of viral that you always really dream of and never know is going to happen for you. That video is a group performance based on a Bollywood remix of the song Sorry by Justin Bieber. So within six months, I had that. And that's when I started getting invitations from the community because people are like, oh, she's a smiley. (laughs) To judge the North American Smiley Games in Chicago or the Canadian Smiley Games in Calgary. And I met a team of people, one person in particular, when I did the North American Smiley Games, who is still a very, very good friend of mine. She knew what she wanted to present on that stage and knew that I was going to be the right person to deliver that. And so it takes one person who believes in you and believes in your art. And of course, they have to have seen your body of work and know that you're legit in what you do and that you're going to bring your absolute best. But it really takes that one person. And I hope to be that person for Ismaili dancers who are in training now or are thinking of this as a career, I feel like I had to do a lot of the heavy lifting in our community to sort of pave that way for including dance and creating space for dance and performing up there in Lisbon and in Dubai and for people in our community to think that like this is where dance got her and that's an okay and a very valid career path. I hope to be that person, that advocate for young dancers in our community. Do you feel like there's like a burden on your shoulders sometime? Or at the moment, did you feel like there was a burden on your shoulders for being this person that was sort of like this token in a way in the community Mm -hmm. of like being the first to do all these things? After the closing ceremonies was done in Dubai, so many people started coming up to me saying, oh my God, we've never seen anything like that. You did it for our community. This was so fun. People were dancing in the audience. Someone came up to me and said like, oh, my daughter loves to dance. I'm going to tell her to go watch your stuff and learn to dance from you. And seeing that kind of shift in people's mentality from, oh, dance is something that is reserved for variety show and we don't really do that within the community to now you are on this international stage and you have just performed. To see that shift was when it first clicked to me that I had a responsibility to young dancers in the community who watch my videos, who see me up there on those stages there and with Rilla and in Lisbon, who see me up there and want to pursue something and use me as the person to show their parents, to say like, look, she did it. And I wanna do that too. And I very much 
realize the responsibility of that and honestly live my life and create my art knowing that I'm responsible for those dancers. And I mean, like, I hope I can be that person. Nobody did it for me. And it's been really difficult. It's difficult when you don't have a mentor and it's difficult when there's nobody in your world and in your community that is supporting you. And I've just been through it. And now that I've done all this, there is no reason that any young smiley dancer should ever have to do that. Can you talk a little bit about some of your favorite or most memorable moments or something that you thought that was really fundamental to your success or to your validation or to your enjoyment and joy? Maybe pick one or two of those and Mm -hmm. talk to us about it. That is so interesting. I've never been asked that before. I mean, like, yes, I've had a long and successful career as Bollywood dancer number one in movies and Netflix shows and TV shows and commercials and all of that. Auditioning is always weird. You're in a room with so many people who look exactly like you and you have to somehow stand out. The good thing about having focused on dance though, was like, I knew I could bring that and I would book a lot of these things that I would audition for. I think a collection of them, they all taught me so much. They gave me that level of professionalism, like being on set, doing these unionized performances and shoots. It helped me learn a lot about the industry. And then because I was doing this so early on, it also I was able to incorporate a lot of what I learned in those environments into things that I ended up doing for myself and in the business of Dance With Us All. I learned from a lot of these shows about lighting and sound and staging and the way curtains work and the way wedges work and like all these little things that I wouldn't have known just as a dancer, but learned being on stages like that, being on shoots like for Netflix and stuff. I learned about all this different equipment and cameras. And I would really try to observe a lot and not just be focused on the dance and the thing that I had to do. Cause there is a lot of downtime on shoots and I would really pay attention to everything going on around me and was able to incorporate so much of that. When I ended up years later, like starting my YouTube channel and having to learn about video editing and production and all of that. So all of those experiences were so interesting to me and formative, but also such great learning experiences. And I walk into all my shoots and my jobs like that. It's like observing and like, what can I learn? And what can I learn from this person? And what's this person doing over here? My brain is always working, trying to find ways to incorporate all these things that I'm taking into my own productions. The one experience that really stands out to Shireen is the time she auditioned for a role in her first Hollywood movie. That movie is The Love Guru, starring Mike Myers, Jessica Alba, and Justin Timberlake. I remember being in a room and there were maybe 50 dancers. I'm 18, I'm Indian, like not all the dancers were. I didn't look like anyone else there. Everybody is there with their years and years of training and their amazing dancer bodies and their perfect hair and makeup. And I'm standing there in like a tank top and Lululemons and I just felt like I just didn't fit in. I felt like I just didn't look the part. And I was like, oh my God, I'm supposed to be a professional dancer. I've always thought of myself as a dancer and I don't look like any of these people. I just felt like I stuck out in a really bad way or I just didn't fit in. And the choreographers were going around as we learned the choreography and we were doing it. 
and they were going around just tapping people on the shoulder, telling them to leave in the interest of not wasting time. That's how Hollywood works, <laughs> so I don't know. But yeah, just in the interest of not wasting time. Did you feel scared? Yeah, I was so scared and I knew I was so aware of my own physicality and the way that I looked compared to other people. I was an 18 year old, curly hair, just like in my dance clothes, not in these like perfect looking dance tights and leg warmers and like beautiful hair. And I just felt so awkward. So they were going around and it went on for, I don't know, maybe five minutes like this. Then they stopped us. They put us in a line and then they tapped people again to have them leave. And I kept making it through each cut. And I'm like, oh my God, am I just flying under the radar? Maybe they can't see me. I'm in the corner. If I hide, then I will, you know? And it went on and on and on until there were eight of us left and they stopped the music and they said, you guys are in. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe I had booked my first Hollywood audition. And the entire time during that audition, I had just felt so bad about myself. And I'm not saying that this was the moment that I decided I'm never gonna feel like that about myself again, because I do, I'm a dancer. I still to this day feel like that sometimes, but I can't let it get in my head. And I let it get in my head for that audition. Even despite that, there was no reason for me to feel like that. And so that was like a good lesson for me. And it was really exciting to have booked my first Hollywood gig and was my first experience on set working with Mike Myers was in that movie and Jessica Alba. And that was just all really cool. And you met them? I met them in our rehearsals. They had to come and learn the choreography. And Mike Myers was like very involved in like changing the choreography and stuff. (laughs) And then on set, yeah, they were both lovely. I mean, that movie is it like certainly didn't age well and was like it's hugely stereotypical of Indian people but hey I was 18 and it was my first Hollywood gig. Shreen had landed the audition for the movie through a dance company she was working for at the time DK Dance Pack led by the choreographer Devya Kumar. There weren't many Bollywood dance companies in the city I think there was us and maybe one other so we were getting booked for everything. I worked with so many Bollywood actors and singers, and we would just book all the gigs in Toronto. It was only us. We got so much work. And he is a very well-known choreographer, books a lot in the industry and gave me a lot of the opportunities that I had. And I was with him from, yeah, like such a young age too. So it was very formative. 14 till I was about, I would say 24, 25, but I had started on the other company when I was, I think, 23. So there were 22. So there was a bit of an overlap between the two where I was on two companies at the same time. I'm so grateful for that, like early formative experience. He taught me a lot. He made me a better dancer. I was one of the youngest on the team when I started. And I just learned so much from absorbing everything from my fellow dancers and the opportunities that I had. So forever grateful for that. Yeah. And for others who are interested in pursuing dance as a career, would you recommend them to be a part of companies? I mean, is that like the norm? Yes. If you want to be a professional dancer, you have to go train. You don't get to move around in your living room and post a video on TikTok and become a professional dancer. You might be good. It's certainly part nature, but to be a working professional dancer, you have to go train. Go take a class, go take many classes and never stop training your entire career. Your training doesn't end ever. And yes, being on a company is just advanced training. Join a company where you actually learn and train in different styles versus just learning choreography to perform for a gig. You're not just like churning out work. 
and you have to practice it every day. You don't have to do full rehearsal every day or like a full riaz, like practice every single day, but stretch every day, incorporate some element of dance into your life every single day. It's like dance is so sacred to me. And I think that's why I take this so seriously. It's hard. Dance will break your heart. And because it's so personal, like it's just, you feel it in your soul when it does. And you have to love it enough to get back up every single time. So if it's for the fame, it's for the followers, that's not gonna be enough to keep you going. You have to do it because you love it. I think I take it so seriously too, because like I said, dance is so sacred to me. It's not only the way through which I connect with the world, it's the way that I connect with my own spirituality. <laughs> Are you comfortable talking a little bit more about what you mean when you say it's it, uh, the spirituality aspect of it? Yeah, this is sort of what I discovered when that ayat piece came to me and I started experimenting with it. And the song in itself uses a lot of religious metaphors in talking about love. So the word ayat itself, they use the metaphor of zikr to talk about this like constant repetitive emotion. So they almost use these Islamic and religious metaphors to talk about love and devotion. That dance came from inside me. And it was the first experience I had with dance connecting to something that was higher than me or me using dance to connect with something that was higher than me. So from then until now, I've sort of gotten deeper into the realm of that kind of music. I was fortunate enough to tour with amazing Smiley singer Farhan Shah in Australia, who taught me so much as a Kuali singer and taught me so much about the context that I was dancing in and the meaning and the words and the poetry. And it's really just been this journey where choreography comes up within me. I'm inspired by words. I'm inspired by songs that have to do with spirituality. And I feel like that's the best feeling when I'm dancing. Shireen is really adamant about telling aspiring dancers to not get caught up in the number of likes or followers when posting on social media. And that's because she once fell into that trap and learned a big lesson. I'd be lying if I said that I didn't used to play that game. When I started on YouTube, I didn't do it with the intention of <laughs> getting my silver plaque on YouTube. I didn't even think about it. Then as my numbers started to increase and I started to have people around me being like, oh my God, you have 25,000 subs. That's amazing. Oh my God, you have 50,000 subs. It became this like evil thing in my life. And I still produced because I wanted to, and I loved to. There was a point for me where I was in production of something that I didn't want to create. And I had just gone through this YouTube next step program. They selected their up and coming 15 Canadian next stars on the rise on YouTube and put us through a YouTube training thing with Google Canada. And like, we all went into the YouTube space and produced for a week and did all these very youtube -y things. And what year was this? It was 2015. It grew so quickly. I couldn't even keep track. It was insane. It was like, I got a little caught up 
in numbers dictate success. And so I would produce more videos and I would get more subs and I would be on Instagram being like, Hey guys, go watch my video. And <laughs> it seems so silly to me right now, but it was like the golden age of YouTube and everybody was doing that. And that's what I learned from YouTube that I had to get my numbers up. And my partner manager at YouTube, you get a partner manager when you have over a certain number of subscribers, somebody who works at YouTube that guides your channel. He was like, when you do a video, you should maybe talk to the camera and say like, here's why I created it. And that just wasn't me. And I just wanted to dance again. I think the, the common thread in this whole thing that we've been talking about today is I just wanted to dance. I didn't want to create a YouTube channel. I didn't want to talk about why I was dancing. The whole reason I dance is so I don't have to talk. I didn't want to do any of that. I didn't want to play the game. And I realized I was playing a game. And the more I produced and the more subs I got, it was like, you're never satisfied. You just need to get more and to the next level. And then when I got a hundred thousand, I was like, well, now what's next? A million? I'm never going to get a million subs. I also realized though, I wasn't dancing anymore. I was producing videos. I wasn't performing on stages like I used to. I wasn't dedicating my time to becoming a better dancer. I was just dedicating my time to make videos. That's not why I dance. It's not to make videos. It's to dance. It's to perform. Along this whole path and journey that you've created, mm -hmm. what role did your family play? My parents would drive me to rehearsal before I could drive. They would drive me to shows. They would sit and wait and see the same show for the millionth time so that they could drive me home. My mom, to this day, if I'm shooting a video and I have my costume there, she'll take it and iron it. <laughs> They'll share my videos with their friends. My grandma will always be playing my videos on TV at home. She only watches these Indian soap operas and my videos. <laughs> They're the most supportive people. And I wouldn't have been able to do this without them. Also, my brother, we actually moved in together, my brother and I. So we live in a house. It's a duplex. So he has his own place and I have my own place, but we live together. He's a year younger than me. So we're pretty much like twins. And he is very, very supportive in terms of what I want to do with dance and like just provides that emotional support for me too. And I just have such a good group of friends. I keep a small circle, but very good people in my life that remind me, even when I don't think that I'm doing well, remind me of where I've come from and what I've had to go through and how I've had to overcome a lot of things and all the things that I have done. I also don't want it to seem like I had no issues that I said one day that I wanted to be a dancer or kept pursuing dance. And everybody's like, yeah, go for it. Pursue dance. That wasn't the case. I have a whole other career. I had to get two degrees and have a whole other career and prove to everyone around me, but honestly, and prove to myself too, that I could do both. I felt like I would only be able to do dance in the way I wanted to do it if I was also successful at the other thing. And that's why my life is what it is. And why it's designed the way it's designed. Cause I couldn't just pursue dance. I had to do the other thing, but what's really real is like this guilt that we all carry that we know our parents went through all these hardships to come here and they did it for us. 
so we carry this constant guilt of like, if I don't do the thing that they want me to do, I have failed them. I've failed my entire family. I've failed my community. And it's so crazy because there are so many avenues that we didn't even think about when we were kids that our parents didn't think about. Like being a doctor is not the only way to make a difference in the world or to be a lawyer is not the only way to make a difference in the world. And we have to let go of that guilt and feel that what we're doing matters mm. and is going to change the world and it's going to impact people's lives. When dance became like this full-blown professional career for you and you were getting all these different opportunities, were your parents also supportive of that along the way or was there ever a moment where they were like, make sure that while you're doing dance, you also have a stable job? Yeah, it was both. They were like, wow, it's so cool you're going to be in this movie. Make sure you study for your exam, though, and make sure you're back in Montreal at school. And it was like, oh, okay, oh my god, amazing. Even recently, like, oh my god, amazing, you're going to go to Australia and perform, but is work going to be okay with it? It's both. They're so happy and so supportive for all the opportunities that I get, but they always want to make sure that, like, is it going to be okay? And I'm just like, yes, it's fine. <laughs> it's all fine. And they don't realize also that I'm in control of my narrative very much and the way I present it to work. The people at work, they love it. They love that I do this. They know that this adds to who I am and raises their profile and makes me a better strategist. I'm very much in control of that narrative. But my dad will always be like, but is your boss okay with said that you're going to go on vacation for this. And I'm like, yes, they love that I'm actually taking my vacation to go work. I'm not going to lie on a beach somewhere. I'm going to perform. So it's just funny. They always just check in. They want to make sure that I still have a job to come back to. <laughs> yeah. Looking back on your entire career so far, is there any advice that you have for others that might be going through a similar situation as to what you went through when you were in your 20s? Yeah, I mean, I do both things because I honestly love both things. I do. I love both sides of my life. And I don't think that either of those things would be as good as they are without the other. So if people are considering this sort of double life, this balancing act, <laughs> like one headline was like YouTube star choreographs a career like blending Bollywood and business or something. It's like so ridiculous. But like if people are looking to do that balancing act, it is entirely possible. You have to find where there are complementary skills, how you can use what you've learned from one to benefit the other. And Decide how you're going to reconcile the two. Maybe for you, it's about if you're working nine to five, then you carve out two hours every night to focus on your creative passion. Or however you design your life or however you decide to treat both things, it is entirely possible, but something has to give in your life. There's not an unlimited number of hours in the day, and you have to choose that thing that's going to give. So for me, over the years, I didn't want to sacrifice, like you couldn't, you can't sacrifice sleep. I didn't sacrifice a second of me dancing and I didn't sacrifice anything to do with work because I wanted to be successful in my career. So the thing that I had to sort of give up was this very free social life. Like I wasn't always free to do things. It was that cliche, sorry, I can't, I have dance. I had to give a lot of things 
in pursuit of this life that I'm living now. So understand that something in your life has got to give. Decide what that thing is going to be and how you're going to still have an element of it with pursuing your double life and know that it is entirely possible. Okay, I want to switch gears a little bit. Would you say like the dance industry is changing at all? And if so, how so? It's crazy. Yes, it dance industry is absolutely changing. I put my work out there on YouTube and that's how I got booked for a lot of things. So in that way, it's changing. Maybe people will no longer have to go to these auditions. I think that's one big way that it's changing is through online and how you can see people's work and be influenced by people's work and also show your own work in these ways. And I think lockdown and the pandemic has really just kind of doubled down on that. Like that's how we audition. Now we send in videos. We don't go in live anymore. And I think that that's something that's going to continue just because we know we're not going to get work for a while. doesn't mean it's never going to come. So I think that's another way that it's changed is that this virtual training and access to choreographers all over the world and teachers from all over the world, I think might continue, which would be lovely because I'm getting to take class with dancers that I have been obsessed with from New York or LA or dancers in India or the UK. And I would have never gotten that opportunity. So I think that's another way that it has changed. Depending on how long this thing goes, I'm considering maybe experimenting with starting to choreograph another show, which would be my third, which would be nuts, but sort of experimenting with the online format of company rehearsals, which would be really interesting. And I think that that's also something that's going to continue when people can't attend rehearsal in person, which you can all the time. Virtual is just going to be so easy and we'll all be used to it by now or like by then. If there was a young dancer who really wanted to, to have these you know, opportunities that helped them gain exposure, what are some of the soft skills or hard skills that they should keep in mind? If you're looking to go down this career path, the hard skills you need are absolutely train as much as you can and don't stop. Stretch every day, drink a lot of water and train and learn from different people. You're going to pick up different things from different teachers. Decide what your movement is as a result of all. Take a little bit from everyone that you watch and, and you learn from and design your own movement. So that's in terms of hard skills. You can't fake the hard skills, but you also can't fake the softer skills. So what I look for in dancers that are coming to my auditions is a true openness. They don't come in there with the mindset of, I know everything and I'm here to work. They come in with the mindset of, I am open to what's going to be created in this space and I'm going to learn from it. I want dancers on my companies and in my shows who have a passion for dance and want to be there who want to do a good job, who want to perform, who want to learn, but who also will give me that energy back. I talk about this a lot. And if I'm going to give you something, a skeleton of choreography, I want you to fill it in with your own unique movement and your perspective on the choreography and your take on it. Inspire me just as much as I'm inspiring you. And I think those are things that are developed over time that come as a result of training. I've had the absolute privilege of meeting so many young dancers or aspiring dancers in our community. And I see that in so many of them. I see like a true love for it. So take the passion and the love that you have for it and combine it with the hard skills of training. And I'm here too. Like I've said, I want to be that person. Reach out to me. 
you don't have to just listen to this podcast and say like, okay, now I'm going to set my journey, message me and reach out to me and we'll design something for you. And is LinkedIn the best way to reach out? (laughs) Email dancewithsl at gmail.com. Aspiring smiley dancers, if you're serious about this and you want some guidance, I am always going to be here. The gates are open. Yes, I'm inviting that. (laughs) So last question. Are there any other overall takeaways based on your career so far that you'd like to share with people? Yeah, it's being a dancer is just so hard because it's your body. You're presenting yourself. And this has been really hard for me. And I don't know if it factors into other people's careers or lives as dancers, but I started this so young. Um, I'm a woman, I'm Indian. The way I looked was always a topic of discussion. It was always allowed to be a topic of discussion. People felt like they could very freely comment on it because that's my work. It's my body and my face and the way I look and present myself. I would love for it to have just been about the way I danced. And I think the conversation is very much changing now and I'm very grateful for that. But I was never aware I lived in this blissful ignorance maybe, or just like I was never aware of my body until I started dancing professionally. I was never obsessed with the way I looked or could so easily pick out flaws or things that I didn't like. I never used to spend time thinking about it. Once I entered the world of professional dance, I haven't stopped and it consumes so much of my energy that I could be directing towards other things. And that is one thing that I am working on within myself and want young dancers today to know that they don't need to be concerned about. They don't need to spend one second thinking about it. They don't need to direct any of their energy towards that and know that the conversations are and have been changing. And what you have to offer the world is the way you dance. It's the way you dance and the emotion that you put into it has nothing to do with the way you look. And I don't want anyone who is up and coming and young and, you know, in the midst of their training right now to put a second of their energy towards that. Thank you so much for sharing all these things about your life and being so vulnerable. Like, I really appreciate it. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you all very much for listening to this episode of the Smile Connection. If you want to get to know more about Shireen or get connected with her, check out the description in the show notes. And if you're enjoying the show so far, please give us a rating on the Apple or Google podcast apps and leave a review. A five-star rating goes a long way to help us boost our message. We'd really appreciate your support. If you're not ready yet, give us another try with the next episode. If you know of any amazing people with compelling stories, do let us know. We'd really like to hear from you email us at ipnpodcast at ipnonline.net. This episode was produced by me and edited by the talented Cassie Lee. Our cover art is designed by Nadia Khan and Shaquille Mulmud. Marketing for this episode was carried out by Samin Jawani. Also, many thanks to Zoha Momin, the head of strategic initiatives at IPN, who was also instrumental in editing this episode, and Farhan Manjiani for all his helpful guidance and charm in securing speakers. Music included in this episode are Epic by Twisterium, Magic by Neolizas, Moments by Giovanni Bruni, Nature Walk by Dylan Darby, Zarkaline by Chuck Fresh, The Shape That Shadows Make by Daniel Birch, and Ancient Hearth by Siddhartha Korsis. Thanks again for listening. 
be safe and be well.